so Ephesians 5 <coughs> we are uh, picking up again in the marriage section in verse 22 let's just pray and commit our time and then we'll study Father I pray that as we come to your word today Lord you would give us insight give us wisdom but your spirit speak through your word and may we understand accurately your word of truth may we see your goodness in your word and your love for us in your word and may we see what you have to say with regards to this this crucial topic of marriage Lord I pray for all those within the church who are married Lord I pray you would protect and you would thrive those marriages that they may be accurate representations of the gospel message of the relationship between your son Jesus Christ and his beloved church in his name we pray amen okay so last time last time we started off on this section on marriage and we kind of skimmed over the early sections which is what we're going to come back to today we dealt um, with uh, the you know the roles husbands and wives just very very briefly and we skimmed over that's what we're coming back to and what we really focused on last time was what marriage is predominantly that marriage Paul says in verse 30 uh, 31 32 uh, that this is uh, something that right from the very beginning right from Adam and Eve right from the first marriage this is something that was intended it was intended to be something much bigger than marriage itself that it was a mystery and that in in the <coughs> pardon me in the biblical terminology a mystery was something <coughs> that while true in its original format in its original expression that in fact there was a deeper truth contained within it that wasn't yet revealed there was something there that was contained but unrevealed in the same way that Paul has spoken of the Jews and the Gentiles coming together into one body the church that was a mystery as well the Old Testament spoke numerous times about how Gentiles would be saved and how the, the gospel the message of salvation although the fullness of the gospel wasn't fully revealed that was a mystery too but the 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 the, the message would go out to gentiles and the gentiles would come on mass and be saved but there was always this presumption that the jews and gentiles would remain separate them coming together into one unified body was a mystery it wasn't revealed in the old testament and in the same way <clears throat> in the old testament marriage was a relationship between a husband and a wife the physical uh, and legal relationship but even then in the Old Testament we'll talk about this in a while as we come to it but even in the Old Testament the marriage relationship symbolized it represented the relationship between God and Israel we see that in the book of Hosea which we'll turn to in a moment we see that in the book of Ezekiel we see that elsewhere with the other prophets in the book of Isaiah um, which we won't be turning to because we're not going to have time to turn to them all but that's there as well and in fact the book of Deuteronomy which is a second giving of the law 
where so much of what is given in Deuteronomy is repeated, having already been given in Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. The book of Deuteronomy is actually written as a covenant, as a marriage contract between God and Israel. And so the, the relationship between God and his people being spoken of in terms of marriage goes way, way back. But there was one aspect that wasn't revealed, and that is that even the relationship between God and Israel wasn't the ultimate expression of marriage, because that was something that was coming too. And in verse 32 of Ephesians 5, Paul says, this mystery is profound. I am saying that it, it being the Genesis quotation, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That husband and wife coming together in marriage as one flesh, one body, that that refers to Christ and the church. And so, the, it, it is, and Paul is right, it really is profound. <clears throat> it's profound in that every one of you here today who is married, every person out there in the streets who are married, whether they are Christians or not, that the marriage relationship, and I mean when I say the marriage relationship, I mean the relationship between a man and a woman who are married, because that is clear in the text of what is being spoken of here, that that marriage relationship is representative of the gospel. It's representative of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. That's why the importance of marriage the holiness of marriage. The fact that Christians need to biblically reject redefinition of marriage. The fact that Christians need to hold firm to sexual purity outside of marriage. These things are important, not because we're bigots or prudes or living in the wrong century. It's because marriage was always intended from the very beginning to give the picture, the representation of a relationship. Not the relationship between two that are the same, but a relationship between creator and creation. A relationship that paints a picture of love and submission in a way that no other relationship in history can ever do. So marriage is important. It's important if we're, if we're single. It's important if we're divorced. It's important if we are, 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 are widowed. Marriage is important because what we do with our lives and what we say about marriage, it communicates what we think about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to repeat last week's sermon, but this is a foundation that we have to be standing on for us, in this day and age in particular, to approach what the Bible says about what marriage looks like. There are some within the church, there are some who claim, who claim to be Bible believers, who have taken passages like this and mushed them up and crushed them down until they look nothing like what they would look like to us at reading them. They've tried to turn them into something else because they perceive the message that is being spoken as being inappropriate to this era. Now, I want to say this up front before we get to the specifics. The patriarchal society 
that existed at the time that this was written was utterly destroyed by the biblical teaching. When we see passages, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that talks about a woman learning in submission and, and quietly learning, then today people say, oh my goodness, how patriarchal. What Paul was saying there was women can learn. That was utterly radical. That a woman would be someone who can come to Christ in the same way that a man can come to Christ and can nourish and feed and learn from the Word of God herself. That wasn't permitted. That was completely contrary to society. We talk about patriarchal and we don't even know what it means in this day and age. You know, and that's what Paul was saying when he's saying we are all one in Christ, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, man and woman. He's saying, look, all of us, we come as members of the same body. And to, to argue that there is some sort of inequality in a text, that its very central point is, Marriage works this way because marriage represents the body of Christ. Don't ignore the first four chapters of the book. The body of Christ is a picture of unity and equality. You can't come to chapter 5 and forget everything that's gone beforehand. When we did chapter 4, we said we all have the same spirit. So that gives us equality and unity, right? And yet that same spirit gives us different gifts. And so in the midst of that equality and in the midst of that unity, there is diversity. So we need to understand that this passage has been abused by its enemies and it's been abused by its friends insofar as people have misunderstood it and taken it out of that context. I'm hoping that for those of you who have been taught this passage in a way that excuses the Bible from saying what it wants to say, that I can put that right today. And I hope that if you've been taught this passage as a way of imposing a predetermined patriarchal system that is not biblical but is more cultural, that I can put that right too. Because this is a glorious passage. And these are glorious truths. So, with that all said and done, let's deal with it. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For as the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, let's do this first, shall we? The husband bit's coming, it's just as hard, trust me. Perhaps harder. So we'll deal with this first. This is all seen ultimately in the context of the preceding verse, which is that when we, Christians, when we are filled by means of the Holy Spirit, 
We are filled, end of Ephesians 3, with all the fullness of God by Christ, using the Holy Spirit to fill us with all that God has. He's given us his Spirit, and so the fullness of Christian living is something that's going to come through that Holy Spirit. That is seen in a multitude of ways, and one of the ways in which that's seen, that maturing, that becoming full, filled with the things of God, one of the ways that's seen is that we are submitting to one another. Now, let's hold back from wives for one second. Verse 21, every single one of us, as a Christian, will be submissive as an outworking of our maturity. Every single one of us will be submissive. There are relationships where submission is part of the structure. Marriage, parents and children, society, authority, government, these kinds of things. And they all vary and they're all different and some of them are very complicated and awkward. When is the child no longer a child? What degree of authority does the government have? We the people in this country makes it even harder. These aren't, these aren't black and white issues, these are complex. But generally speaking there are areas where, where submission is specific. But more broadly speaking, every one of us needs to have a submissive heart. So, so the first thing that tells us, before we even get to the word wives, the first thing that tells us is this, that certain patriarchal models of marriage where husbands are totally and utterly unsubmissive to anyone or anything and they will determine and decree obedience within their household, that is not what's being painted here. We are talking as we come from verse 21, the breadth of Christians and how Christians behave generally, into the specifics of marriage in verse 22, that when we take that step, we are all coming in with submissive hearts. In fact, if we want to be more specific about this, we all of us chapter 4, as we've already seen, are coming in in a manner worthy of the calling by which we've been called, which means humility, gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the, of, um, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's Christianity. That's Christian living. <coughs> I know that there are certain subcultures. I know that there are certain parts of uh, you know, America, and not, not, not limited to America, but elsewhere, where there is a, a form of patriarchalism that has been so closely linked with Christianity that it's hard for people to separate the two. But the idea of a marriage where the husband barks orders and the wife bows her head and just goes along with that is nothing that I see here in Ephesians. We see here a call to all Christians, men and women, married and unmarried, to have submissive hearts. We see a call to all Christians to behave with gentleness. We see a call to all Christians to have humility, which means considering the other person more important than yourself. Now, if by patriarchalism you simply mean the husband is head of the wife and the wife submits to the husband, then I'll go with that. But that's not what people normally mean. 
They normally mean a form of leadership that is dic dictate... I'm going to get the word, dictatorial? That is that kind of thing where there's a dictator and, and there, is, there is aggression and there is, you know, a harshness. That's not what's being painted here at all. Not even remotely. And we'll see that when we come to the role of the husband. That said, let's hit verse 22. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, in a sense what that's doing is that is repeating verse 21, but it's doing so in a specific realm. <clears throat> so all of us should be submissive in our hearts, and we do it out of reverence to Christ. Now the word reverence, if you have a King James version, I believe it will say fear. The older versions will say fear. The word in the Greek is phobos, which is where we get our word phobia from. And it's funny, we like, sometimes we see the word, this word in the Greek word, and we, we, we translate it as fear when it revolves around God. And then later on in verse 33, we're going to see it translated as respect when it involves husbands. But it's the same word. So I don't think that fear is necessarily a helpful translation. Because I think fear implies something scary. And that's not what's being painted at all. And you say, but what about fear of God? God's scary. Well, I've had my sins washed by the blood of Christ. There is no wrath that God has against me anymore. Because all the wrath and all the anger that God had against my sin was paid on the cross. It was poured out on Christ that it wouldn't need to be poured out on me. So I will not fear God in that regard. I am not scared of him. I can come before his throne without fear because of Christ. So when we talk about fear, respect, reverence, what we're talking about is we're talking about coming before God. Coming before the throne of God and saying, I am no fear that I'm going to be smoted, wiped out, destroyed by the holiness of God because I come before him cleansed by Christ, but I come before my God and maker and so I'll bow anyway. That's reverence. And so we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When that policeman pulls you over, he might well be a nasty little man. He might well have a chip on his shoulder. He might well be, be unfair. But submission is not to do with how you feel about him. It's to do with how you feel about Jesus. Now, when we now pull that into the marriage relationship, and it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the...